Hi folks, Curtis Shelburne here, and welcome to the Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. A good place just to be and breathe and hang out for a while as we share some words about life in Christ. And that's all of it, I think. Life, that is. The good, the bad, the fun, the sad, the deepest joys, the toughest sorrows, all of it. I think we're going to have a good time and hope you enjoy this. I hope you tell your friends about it, and I hope you come back. This episode, episode 26, is called, There Will Be Blood. Well, when I'm recording this, it's just a few days past Easter. Well, actually, it's still Easter. Easter, you know, is a season, not just a day, though Easter Sunday is an amazing, amazing, incredible, wonderful day just filled with hope. I hope you had a great Easter Sunday, and I hope you're still celebrating the joy of Easter. And here we are in this Easter season. We've just come through Holy Week. We've just come through all the activities of Easter. I don't know about your community, but in our community, we were able to get back together and to do a lot of things that we couldn't do at all last year. And I'm so very thankful for that. What a blessing. And now maybe we realize a little more how much of a blessing it really is. I found myself during, though this time, still thinking about some of the thoughts of Holy Week, some of the events that took place before Easter. It's always good to focus on those some and to think about what they mean. And then Easter means a whole lot more if you're ready for it, if you're prepared for it. And there is one event in that holiest of weeks that still just kind of sticks in my head. And I want to talk to you about that just in a little while, a little bit more. When I was a kid, I was playing and I don't remember how old I was. I don't know that it matters a whole lot, but it might matter some. I'm kind of looking for a reason to excuse this behavior. I wasn't very old. I certainly was nowhere near teenage years, but I had a piece of clay. And I also had a younger brother, two years younger, my brother Jim. Jim and I were really big buds and good playing partners, and we had a tremendous amount of fun together. We still do. We always have. But like all brothers, not everything is hunky-dory all the time. And so I had this piece of clay, and I was molding this thing. Now, I should mention we also had a sister 15 years older than me. I'm two years older than Jim. And then we had two more brothers, older still, so we were kind of the second family in our family. And so that's kind of to help you locate Jim and me. Anyway, I was playing with this piece of clay, and it was, uh, oh, about a tennis ball size, round ball of clay, which is fairly heavy. I don't think it was softball size, somewhere around tennis ball, baseball size, fairly heavy. You know, clay's pretty dense. And I don't know what I was creating, if it was a spaceship of some sort or some kind of rocket or some kind of satellite. But I had some toothpicks and I took those toothpicks and I stuck them in the ball of clay in various positions. So, well, I don't know. Right now it might look like, uh, oh, I hope not, but come to think of it, it might look like a particularly sharp and hairy coronavirus. But at least at that time, it looked like a piece of clay with toothpicks in it, and I thought it was some kind of a satellite or something. I don't remember what I thought. There also happened to be nearby a number two pencil, and we happened to have nearby 
a pencil sharpener that may, I say, was one of the finest pencil sharpeners I remember. It would put a great point on a pencil. And I liked running the pencil sharpener. So I don't know why I stuck that pencil in the ball of clay, but it kind of seemed to me, as I recall, and I don't recall much, that if you're going to stick a pencil into a ball of clay with a point sticking out, and that was the plan, I don't know why, you really ought to have the thing sharpened. And so I sharpened it. And so it was just pure bad luck when Jim did something that made me really pretty mad at him. I don't know what he did, or maybe I was just playing. Maybe fine lad that I was, I was just playing with that clay satellite and I launched it across the room just to see if the thing I had created would fly. But I really don't think that's probably it. As I recall, he did something, said something. This is all his fault. You understand that, of course. It wouldn't be my fault. But he did something, said something. For some reason, I got pretty ticked off at my little brother, and I tossed that piece of clay over across the other side of the room And usually, if I was trying to hit him with something, I would never be able to do it, probably. But on this particular occasion, I caught him in the leg. And you guessed it, you know, in the calf of the leg, the pencil hit first. I really did nail him pretty good. And the graphite, it it didn't stay in his leg. It, It broke off and there was a piece of graphite in his leg. And I haven't asked recently. I don't think that it's probably all that wise to bring up this experience too often, But there was for many, many years a piece of graphite in his leg that you could kind of see through the healed skin. I guarantee you my mother saw the thing, and I do remember getting a serious spanking. That was before parents were so enlightened that they didn't spank children. My parents were never so enlightened, and I remember getting quite a serious spanking, and may I say, I absolutely deserved it. And consequently, I have never since that time spent much time at all making balls of clay with toothpicks in them and sharpened pencils and throwing them at people because my mother taught me the way more perfectly. You don't do that. And I love you too much to let you act like that. And I'm not going to talk to you a long time about your feelings of anger, etc. I'm not sure I care how you feel, but I do care that you don't ever do that again. Well, she cared how I felt, and she loved me, and she didn't like to spank me, but she jolly well knew I deserved one, and so I got it. And I haven't been throwing stuff like that at people ever since. I just don't do that. I get mad in other ways, and yeah, we can talk about that later, but please know, that day I threw that object, and there was blood. I was too angry. I was a little bit on the vengeful side that day, and the interesting thing is I don't even remember why. I have not a clue why I got ticked off at my little brother that day and threw that astronomical object right at his leg. Anyway, I tell you that just to say that day there was blood, and I know why. And my mom thought she pretty well knew how to handle it and make sure it didn't happen again. Sometimes, though, you don't plan to do this or that. You get into a situation where something happens, and before you know it, things are way underway, and the whole situation has progressed further than you think. In Texas, we might say that the cow's further out of the barn than you might have realized when you realize that something's going on here. And that happened one day, one amazing day, 
during Holy Week. And I don't know what the Apostle Peter had thought about that morning. I don't know what he was planning. I don't know what he thought he would do when, instead of being armed with a piece of clay and a lot of pencils and, well, one pencil and a number of toothpicks stuck in it, he put his sword on that day. Was it concealed carry? I don't know. But Peter was carrying that day, and events kind of got out of hand, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let me mention that I do indeed have a new album of music coming out. It's entitled Almost Home, and I hope it takes you almost home. I really think you'll like it. It's got a lot of great hymns and songs on it. The arrangements are wonderful. The players are incredible. My job was not to mess it up. The vocalists that worked with us, the whole thing, all the way through, I'm just amazed by it. And I can say that with some humility because I tell you, it takes so many folks to produce a project like that, that I just have to say thank you, Lord, for allowing me to work with so many amazingly talented and really good folks. It was a joy to make that. It was a long project in the making. But it's just almost ready. In fact, as I speak to you at this moment, the CDs are on the way. They are literally in transit and headed to my house. I am also creating some USB flash drives that are filled with stuff that I think you'll enjoy. One of the flash drives is going to have that album plus some other stuff on it. You see, with those flash drives, you can put anything on there that you want to, just as long as you have enough space. And so I've got a lot of pictures of the recording and getting that ready to, to happen. I've got a number of interesting pictures I think you might enjoy. I've got a few short video clips. I've got some of these podcasts. I've got some Focus on Faith newspaper columns, blogs that I've written. I've got a number of things there that are extra for you that I just think you might really enjoy. That's on the smaller flash drive. And then I decided to also create a much larger one to put information on that one which includes all of the albums that I've recorded, pictures from all of the albums, more podcasts, more Focus on Faith blog columns, more other special stuff, lots of neat things, as well as, may I say, on that particular flash drive, a beautiful, sweet song that we recorded in addition to the 12 that are on the album called September in the Rain. The first time I heard that song, I loved it. It's one of those great American songbook classics that really kind of belongs on the For Sentimental Reasons album, which is an album full of those songs. This one I heard somewhere during the process or maybe right after I recorded that album, and I thought, I love that song. I want to record it. I don't know when I'll get to actually go up to Nashville and do my vocal on it, but hey, while we were there doing Almost Home, I recorded my vocal for that one, and we also did some other stuff too. It added some things, and I think it turned out really well. And I am including that as a special extra on that album as the 13th song right in there among the 12 songs already on that For Sentimental Reasons album. And so there's some good things coming out. Those are extras. All this stuff is going to be available on the website. And if you want to, you can order it there and I'll ship it to you. Or you can just use the contact form there and shoot me an email and I'll be happy to send you whatever you're interested in and an invoice for the items that are sent I really do think there's some good stuff there, and a whole lot of it's free. So if you go to www.curtisshelburn.com, that's C-U-R-T-I-S, no space, S-H-E-L-B-U-R-N-E.com, you can find a lot of neat stuff on that website. I'd love for you to take a look and spend a little time there and just visit there for a second 
and see if you're interested in anything. But the new album's coming, and I am most definitely excited about that and very thankful for it. And now, let's focus on faith. I could be wrong to swing this sword, but swing it I will. Try to arrest my lord if you will, but this sword says that there will be blood. Well, I don't know exactly what was going through the Apostle Peter's head that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm not sure it was exactly like that. Part of it may be so. The part about I could be wrong to swing this sword, I'm not at all sure that was there at all. But he sure did swing it. He drew his sword and swung it to defend his lord. An armed detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, John 18.3, lit with torches and adrenaline, had come to arrest Jesus. It seemed clear to Peter that this was the time to cock his sword, take it off safety, and swing, or something like that. I don't think he was thinking much just taking what seemed like a natural and reasonable defensive action. If he'd been more soldier than fisherman, would he have swung harder and taken better aim? Would Malchus, the chief priest's servant, have been headless instead of just shorn of his starboard ear? Was the swing half-hearted, or full out but ham-handed? I don't know. I do know that Jesus quickly told the big fisherman to put away his sword, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And then the Lord miraculously, graciously reattached the whopper-eared servant's outer auditory apparatus. And that's pretty much the last we hear about Malchus, his ear, and Peter's sword. I doubt that Malchus was a particularly bad guy. He was following the wrong leaders, but he had lots of company in that. He'd evidently done his job well enough that he'd risen to a position of responsibility. He must have been right amongst the first line of the arresters to have been such a readily available target for Peter's blade. Draw what conclusions you will. I must admit that from my childhood, I've always been glad that at least somebody that night did something that made some sense. Jesus will go quietly. But what Peter did... To me as a kid, and I promise you to a large part of me now, makes a whole lot of sense. I like John Wayne. You'll never get me not to like John Wayne. I like it when someone looks at John Wayne and says, I thought you was dead. And John Wayne, the Duke, looks at him and says, not hardly, right before he puts a bunch of bullets in him. I like John Wayne. I like taking care of things, getting it over with, handling the situation, and handling it very decisively. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Peter drew out his sword. He took action. But Jesus went quietly. He'll let his enemies take him. He'll be mostly mute while they lie about him, beat him, and taunt him. He'll let them nail him to a cross and kill him. Before he dies... He'll even ask his father to forgive them. I can't imagine doing any of that. What I can imagine is joining Peter and adding to his sword any weapon at my disposal. 
I can imagine feeling just as the disciples did. What we need is more firepower, more swords. Jesus had entered Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna. Wasn't it time now for the revolution to begin in earnest? Wasn't it time, and past, most of them would say, for Christ to publicly establish his kingdom? But they didn't understand. And come on, admit it with me. It's really hard to understand even now. Jesus had said so much about his kingdom, and so much of it just goes right over our heads, just like it did theirs. I know swords and their modern equivalents are quite necessary in this fallen world. I really believe that they are. One day, swords will be beaten into plowshares, and maybe tanks turned into tractors, but not yet. And it still takes something called faith as we wait for God's kingdom to come in all its fullness and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord for us to realize that the rule and the reign of Christ in our hearts can begin for any one of us at any moment, right here, right now. We can experience his peace and his presence, whether we are treated fairly or get all of our rights or are healthy and wealthy and comfortable and in charge. We can experience his peace and his presence, whatever kingdom we're in of an earthly nature, because we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Though I'm immensely thankful for the nation in which I live, Christ's peace can be full and rich in the hearts of his children, regardless of their earthly citizenship or any external circumstances. His kingdom is far more powerful, more real, and infinitely longer lasting than the best or the most evil of earthly kingdoms. His peace transcends any time, any place, any circumstance. Oh, we want justice and truth, and yes, mercy and fair play, all to hold sway. We want God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And where we have an opportunity to help that and to be enlisted by God to help that be done, I hope that we do. I hope that we will. But one eternal day, justice and truth and mercy and fair play will all hold sway completely, forever, and with them a great deal of joy. Until then, I need to think a lot more about what it means for Christ's kingdom to come already, yet again, each day in my heart. My ear is fine. It's my heart that needs healing. It seems to me that right now, even though we're already in the Easter season and we're thinking all sorts of joyful thoughts and we're praising God for that and well, we should, it seems to me that a little more thinking still about that dark night in Gethsemane, focusing on our Lord, and yes, even pondering a bit more about Peter and Malchus might be a good thing for us. Maybe as we think about that, God can teach us how to be better citizens of his eternal kingdom, even as we live in, well, whatever kingdom we live in, right here, right now. And yeah, there will be blood. Peter was right about that. But it won't be Malchus' blood. It won't be Peter's blood. It will be Christ's blood. The most costly blood ever spilt, that we all might be healed. 
Again, thank you for joining us on this Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us, and I hope you'll come back and spend some time with us again. If you like it, why not tell some friends about it? Sure would appreciate it. Have a great day.